Welcome fellow horror hounds and welcome to the latest episode of Talk and Stalk, your unholy home for horror. I'm your host as always, Barry, and I'm joined today by my corrupted co-host, the diabolical Darren. Hiya, good to be here as always and looking forward to talking some creep show. Yep, and that's today's podcast. We're going to be devoting it to 1982's Creep Show, obviously a horror anthology um, directed by George A. Romero and actually written by Stephen King. And uh, this is personally, this is one of my favourite anthology films. Um, I'm a huge fan of anthologies in general, be it TV, be it film. The Twilight Zone, as I've probably mentioned 15 million times before, is my all-time favourite TV series. Not just anthologies, but just my favourite TV series, full stop. Um, I love Tales from the Crypt, you know, the TV show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, the list goes on. Uh, I don't know about you, Darren, but I'm a huge fan of the Amicus films, like Tales from the Crypt and obviously um, Asylum and the House that Drip Blood and that. Yeah, yeah, I, I really like Tales from the Crypt, uh the movie um they got like a really good segment with joel collins uh with like a killer santa Claus. i love that one yeah um what was the other ones you mentioned like i i really like um trying to think cat's eye is one i really like well yeah um, in the, in the 80s i mean in the 80s we had there was kind of a resurgence of uh anthologies you know with the likes of yeah creep show cat's eye there's one called after midnight as well obviously we have the twilight zone movie we had uh, tales from the dark side movie um but yeah i'm a big fan of them obviously amicus churned out a lot of anthologies their very first one being dr terror's house of horror starring yeah. the legends that are you know peter cushing and christopher lee uh creep show is very much a love letter a homage to the classic ec horror comics of the 1950s um you know very much in the spirit of them comic books now i used to read them comic books a lot as a kid i love you know the three big ones i used to read were tales from the crypt the the haunt of fear and the vault of horror and you know a lot of people within the horror industry do cite them books as as an influence you know george a romero and stephen king have actually said that you know they used to they used to read these comics themselves you know they were the kind of comic comics back in the day that parents didn't want their kids reading. Um, they yeah, caused yeah. quite some controversy back then. And from what I know, Stephen King and Georgia Romero were friends and they'd always wanted to collaborate. They'd always wanted to work on something together. And this was the project. This is the project that came their way. Um, yeah, um, I think they, they got uh, Tom Savini on board pretty early on as well because he'd worked a lot with George in the past. Yeah. And um, yeah, like you say, it, it, it came out of... The fact that their real love for these comics, I think George and uh, certainly Tom Savini says a story where he was like used to go under the covers yeah. in his bed with a torch and read the comics. Like I've never really got a chance to see the co- to see or read the comics, and for some reason I couldn't get hold of them when I was younger. They weren't around, yeah. you know, my area. Well, I would recommend anyone that's a fan of just just anthologies in general or comics, horror comics in general. Um, you can actually get the books as part of hardcover editions now. Um, I own the complete collection. Of course, we got Tales from the Crypt, you know, the TV series that first aired in 1989 that ran for seven seasons. Very successful show. Um, but, you know, let's just let's just talk about this film. Because, um, as I said, this is very much a film that's kind of an ode to old school horror. It knows exactly what it is. Um, you know, with this movie, let's talk about the rapper. I mean, this film has a great cast. You know, let's yeah, talk about yeah. the cast. I mean... 
Tom Atkins, who really doesn't need an introduction to anyone that's a horror fan. And do you know what I love about the opening to this film? Is, you know, we've got Tom Atkins, who's basically kind of bullying his son. Why are you reading this crap, all this horror crap? This is garbage. I'm going to throw this garbage away and all that. And what's really interesting about this is this is kind of like taking it back to the 50s because there were a lot of parents that did view these comics in such a way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Tom Atkins, he, he really plays, you know, the asshole character really well. Yeah. Uh, and you've got the kid then. He's, he obviously cursing out his dad then, you know, he hopes he rots in hell. And all that, and I just think this is just a perfect, you know, like you say, love letter to the old comics. Yeah. A great way to start the film. Yeah, po politicians actually, by the way, the comic code was introduced in the 1950s and these books were eventually banned. You know, they're now obviously, you know, they were blamed for juvenile delinquency and all sorts back then. And Tom Atkins is very much kind of a representation of some of the parents Back then, you know, he, he's berating these comics. They're crap. It's horror shit. I like where he says, uh, you know, um, after he sent him to his bed, you know, after slapping him. Who, And, of course, the kid is actually Stephen King's son, isn't he? That's right, yeah. And he doesn't do too bad a job, you know, considering he, he wasn't an actor or anything. Yeah. I think Atkins uh, was very kind of apprehensive, wasn't he, during the filming of that scene? Because, yeah, you know, yeah. to hit Stephen King's son and Stephen King actually wanted to be there on set, didn't he, to see this, to govern this. That's right, yeah. And I think actually now they, they're still even, they, they email, email each other all the time, apparently, Tom Atkins and, and uh, Stephen King's son. Yeah. So they've remained really good friends, which is good. Yeah. Now, what I like is, yeah, he says, and he sits down with his wife, doesn't he? He says, you see that crap, that horror crap? You know, things coming out of crates, eating people, dead people coming back to life, people turning into weeds. He's actually giving us foreshadowing. He's actually telling us some of the stories in advance here, isn't he? That's right, yeah. And I didn't realise that the actual... The, the, it was a made-up comic, basically. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't an original comic with all these stories in. No. So they had to make it for the production. But, yeah, um, yeah it's a cracking way to open. Well, the comic in the film... Um, which was obviously made specifically for the film, was actually drawn and inked by Jack Kamen, who was one of the artists for the original EC horror comics of the 50s. Oh, right. I so, yeah, to one. give it to that level of authenticity, they were actually using one of the big comic, uh, one of the big illustrators, comic artists, for that comic line, um, as very much as a, a, a tribute to, to his books. And then, of course, there was a comic release to, to, to coincide, you know, with, uh, with the movie. Um, yeah. Now, is it me or is Tom Atkins, correct me if I'm wrong, is he struggling to keep a straight face? Um, I don't know. I, I didn't get that from it. I got um, a little bit like Atkins. I don't know. I got the impression. I might be completely wrong here. It looked like he was having a fun time with this and he was kind of struggling to keep a straight face. That's taking nothing away from I absolutely love Tom Atkins. I really do. Oh, he's a um, legend. But yeah, I got the impression that he was... There's a bit of a smile there. I it wouldn't surprise me because, like, in the interviews I've seen that he's done, he just, you know, said he got on so well with George, he just said the old production was fun. So, yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. And it's also interesting as well um, that this was the only George A. Romero directed film where he didn't actually write the screenplay. That's um, right, yeah. yeah. It was written, of course, by Stephen King. Now, two of the stories in this film were actually based on two stories of his already that he'd already published. 
Um, so yeah, he actually wrote the film. So, uh, so you know, I think we're gonna how how we're gonna do this. We're gonna kind of go through segment to segment. Um, so with yeah. the first segment, I know the first segment is a lot of people's favourite. Actually, it's one of the more popular of the five. I'm just gonna quickly preface it. I don't think there's any bad segments in this film. I don't. I think like any anthology. There's always, you know, some segments, some stories that are going to be better than others. That's always the case, okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think there's any bad segments in this film. I think there's some segments that are better than others, and there's, there's some that I certainly prefer. Uh, so the first one, Father's Day, which is like something that's ripped right out of them EC comics. Um, we get Ed Harris in this, don't we? Yeah, again, um, I don't know how famous he was at the time, but I know... You know that he got on well with George, and he, he did it as a favour, mm. from what I was reading. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So he sort of makes. Oh, I mean, we'll come on to that in a minute. But he makes like a little funny dance. Well, he he was giving John Travolta a run for his money, wasn't he? If you <laughs> yeah. ever want to see an, a younger Ed Harris dance, uh, then you know just just watch Creep Show. Um, yeah, he's in there, and obviously it's a revenge tale because essentially what the EC horror comics always were, they were morality tales. Quite often it's bad people, people who have committed bad deeds and karma comes back to get them. That is very often the case in these stories, and obviously this was the case in this story. So it's yeah. called Father's Day, isn't it? And um, do you want to take us through the story, Darren, what the basic synopsis kind of is in this? Yeah, um, basically, and... Um... Bedelia visits um, and years earlier she the story goes that she killed her father who was yeah. quite abusive Yeah, and she was looking after him I think he, he ended up having a stroke and his constant demands for cake yeah. uh, and everything and she ended up you know I think her father as well she was going out with this guy as well at the time yeah, and her father got him, got him killed yeah, he engineered his death, didn't he? Yeah. That's right, yeah. So basically, yeah, she she uh, ends up killing him with, like, a marble ashtray. Yeah. And then every every uh, Father's Day, then she goes back to the house where they have this gathering. Yeah. And, of course, he comes back. He didn't get his cake. He wants his cake. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, in this, uh, in this episode, obviously, kind of a jump scare sequence, really, isn't it? You know where his hand comes out of the grave? She's yeah, sitting yeah. there drunkenly rambling to him and all that. And uh, his hand comes out and obviously zombified and that. I absolutely love the look. Because obviously, as you said, Tom Savini was involved with this film. He did all the, the practical effects and all that. And uh, a very good job, in fact, as well. I actually love the look of the zombified guy, the zombified dad in this. Yeah, absolutely. I think, And again, you know, George Romero, well known for doing zombie films. Yeah. So it was ironic he was going to do because he he does two zombie films in you know in this film. Yeah. And um, yeah, the old look. Um, I love the the actual look of the mansion as well. It's quite atmospheric. You got you know the fog machines at the you know where the grave is, and yeah, I, I really like this. Um, that's a few of the stories a bit hit and miss for me, which I will go into later. Yeah. But um, I think yeah, this this one is really good. It's, yeah. It's, it's up there with one of the best. I think I think with Creepshow, the stories are the stories are simplistic. Okay. Um. You know, with the EC horror comics of like the fifties and that, uh, there were stories that were very kind of how do I put it? Uh, simplistic. You know, uh, somebody dies, they come back from the grave, and then there were other. Um, stories that were really quite clever, you know, in their twists and that. 
Creepshow is just kind of old school horror. You know, the stories are, there's no kind of like big twists or anything like that. This is just kind of going back to the roots of kind of old school horror, isn't it? Um, That's right, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, it knows what it is. And yeah, obviously she gets strangled. And the death with, <laughs> and it's funny actually with Ed Harris's death, because he lets out this really kind of girly little yelp, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's quite, um, you know, because you've got the, if he accidentally falls into the grave, I believe, and then you've yeah. got this gravestone, which I don't know if the, the zombie, you know, father is actually controlling it with his mind or whatever, mm. but it, it falls on him. Yeah, it's quite a good def, death sequence. There's a couple of good death sequences, Yeah, so it's it? kind of like, yeah, it's, it's weird, actually, because, yeah, this, this this isn't just kind of a traditional zombie. He It's like you said, he uses kind of... Uh, telekinesis or whatever to to cause the gravestone um, yeah, to fall yeah. on Ed Harris. Uh, I think the next death's pretty cool. Obviously, um, she gets uh, the character's name is escaping me, but of course her her head gets twisted round, doesn't it? Her neck broken. Yeah, Sylvia, I think I believe is the yeah. the character. Um, yeah, that's another yeah another good shot, you know. And, and again, like you say, it's just basic. It's basic storytelling, but. It's so clever in the way it's done, you yeah. know. You've got the with the comic book sort of interacting sometimes with the vignettes. So yeah, it's this this one I really like. And then, of course, you've got he ends up killing, you know, the housekeeper as well, as yeah. Sylvia, and the actual icing on the cake for me, literally, don't, no pun intended, yeah. is is the end when the zombie father comes out and he's got Sylvia's head on the plate. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fantastic. But my birthday cake, yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool final shot actually. I mean, they just tried to bring DEC horror comics to life for the screen, and I think they did a good job. I think overall they did a very good job with it. Um, the presentation of it is like you said, how it transitions from one scene to another, from like going from one comic panel panel to another. Yeah, um, I don't think it was ever done at the time. I don't it? believe it was. No, that that's what I mean. That's what really makes it stand out from a lot of the other anthologies and so forth and horror films of the time is that it was unique in its presentation. And I really like, and it happens in a, pretty much, I think at least four of the five segments, we get them shots. Um, because uh, you might have to remind me here, Darren, what was the name of the cinematographer? Because there's some shots in this film, obviously, that have like red lighting and that, and they look great. It's like a comic panel come to life. Yeah, um, just trying to look now. Um, I haven't got it you offhand, but we can come back to that if you want. Yeah, because uh, the cinematography are very kind of Argento esque. There's some some greatly you know some great lit scenes in this film with red lighting and that, and it really looks very kind of Argento esque. There's a few moments in the film. Michael Gornick, I believe. Yes, that's it. Yeah, his name was escaping me. Um, yeah, so some good cinematography. Like I say, it's just like the way it's presented, the way the film is presented. Um, when we get the moments where the character, for example, near the end when they're kind of screaming and obviously, you know, the the, the zombified father is there with a birthday cake. It's just, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's very well done. Now, the second segment um, is my least favourite. Um, starring Stephen, very notable for starring Stephen King himself, though. Um, yeah, it's my second least favourite, and I, I really don't like this one at all, to be honest. Okay. I've got, I, I, I love three of the stories. I love the wraparound story, and then there's two I can just 
I don't really like at all. Okay, well, I believe this one was called The Lonely Death of... Um, oh, what Jordy Farrell. Jo- yeah, yeah. And uh, he's the only actor. He he. So he carries this segment. He's the only... Well, actually, there is an actor in some kind of, like, imagination sequences or whatever. But for the most part, this is Stephen King's segment. Uh, playing yeah. this kind of country bumpkin, this kind of hillbilly. He's clearly not too smart. Uh, I think he actually does a good job of playing Goofy. I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's played like a satire. It's played very kind of sitcom-esque. It's um, based on a short story by um, Stephen King himself called Weeds. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, and I think the other guy that you alluded to was um, Bingo O'Malley, who played a couple of um, different characters. Oh, he right, yeah. He plays his father at one point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in this, uh, obviously meteorite lands near him and he kind of like, he gets his imagination, you know, maybe he'll be rich and he gets his kind of imagination sequence, doesn't he? Of like this money being handed his way and then obviously it ends up breaking. He gets that imagination sequence of the now basically calling him a klutz. He's not getting any money, etc. And obviously he starts to become overgrown. He touches it and obviously there's overgrown weeds everywhere and he starts slowly from what i understand he actually had an allergic reaction to the makeup that he had to wear for this yeah Yeah, he was actually subjected to shots and medication Um, yeah he had a lot of yeah it didn't go down too well him having to wear all that but from what i also understand as well uh he basically plays it as kind of wily coyote doesn't he yeah it's kind of roadrunner-ish isn't it really um i i don't get me wrong i i not a big fan of the segment itself, but mm. I think Stephen King in general does a really good job in the acting. And um, there is one line when he says meteor shit. I think that's one oh, of the best lines. Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, that's one yeah. of the best lines. We're going to get to my favourite line soon, but that is one of my favourite lines in the film. Meteor shit. Um, I love it. He, it's he, the way he says it. Like, it's yeah. just so funny. He does a good job because, as I said, he's not playing this seriously. This is played for laughs. This is kind of a... A satire, almost, if you will, and I think he does a he does a good job. Um, it is the weakest segment, in my opinion, in the film. Uh, but even then, it's it's not bad. It just doesn't it, it doesn't hold up as well as some of the others. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, um, with this segment as well, uh, I've actually lost my train of thought now. What I was going to say regarding this. Yeah, uh, I, I know. Tom, I know Tom Atkins him. wanted to to um, play the part of Jodie Verrill. He did, yeah. And um, obviously, they'd already cast Stephen King, so George said, "You know, I've got a part for you in the wraparound story if you want." So that's how Tom Atkins come about. And I'm glad know. we got him in the wraparound. Yeah, Actually, he's I'm perfect. Really glad. You know, I'm always I'm always welcome to see Tom Atkins. Um, but I actually felt sorry for Jodie Verrill. Beryl, at the at the end of this, I have to. I, I feel sorry for the guy. Um, basically, he said, you know, he's completely overgrown now, isn't he? And uh, yeah. he wants to commit suicide. And he's just like, please, please, God, let my luck be in just this once, just this once. And he blows his head off. But well, I think, you know, with that and the end, where you know you've got the weather forecast, and I know it's, I know it's all shot goofily and whatever, but I, it just made no sense to me. At mm. all, the ending. I know you've got to, again. Like we always say it, don't we? Suspend disbelief. Mm. But um, it just fell flat for me. The ending and the whole segment. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's. I mean, the thing is, um, I just want to quickly say this about Stephen King as well. I don't know if you. I don't know if you uh, 
read this, found this out or anything, but apparently Stephen King took his son to McDonald's and as a joke, his son, right, was made up with bruises, cuts and scabs. No, I Just as a joke, and the girl at the drive-thru window called the police when she saw him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the kid was done. Now, getting back to that slap sequence at the beginning, um, I believe that Joe actually kind of slapped himself as well, because when you actually look at him, Will back, he's actually kind of holding his hand as he does it. Oh, right. So I think he's actually kind of like slapping himself, and they they pulled it off well, actually, because it had to be like a very quick cut that you don't actually kind of notice that. Um, but yeah, the second segment is my least favourite of the bunch. Um, but even then, it, it's just notable to see Stephen King, you know, because we don't really see... Stephen King obviously shows up and has made plenty of cameos in that over the years in TV shows and films. But for him to be the lead in something... Yeah, um, yeah. Something that like, he, like I say, he does a good job, you know. And um, it, it just wasn't, I don't know, it just wasn't for me. Um, but yeah, so the third segment, which uh, is good, um, I really do like the third segment. It's notable for starring Leslie Nielsen. Uh, now, this was yeah. obviously a few years before he played Frank Drebin in The Naked Gun. Uh, just a couple of years, of course, after Airplane, because Airplane, you know, and obviously Police Squad, they're the things that really turned him into a comedy star. So it's weird. It feels weird seeing Leslie Nielsen playing a villain. That's right, and of course he did Prom Night as well, where he yep. plays the father. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does. he's just so good in everything he does, whether it be comedy, where the guy is just was an absolute legend. Um, I think the whole, overall, mind, the whole cast for this segment was superb. You know, you've got Ted Danson coming off. I think during the filming of this, he found out that he got the Cheers uh, gig. Oh, yeah. And um, you've got Galen Ross, who... Uh, Funny enough, she did Dawn of the Dead and she did um, the film Madman. Oh, yeah, yeah. But she does not want to talk, ever talk about Madman, so I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, why she's happy to talk about Creep Show, Dawn of the Dead, but won't speak about Madman. But mm-hmm. that could be a, another episode. Um, but yeah, I, I really like this episode. I think this is up there. And a couple of days ago, this would have been my favourite, but having watched, rewatched it, you know, I think The Crate is my favourite at the moment. Yeah. But um, this is really solid, I will admit. Yeah. It's funny because, yeah, Leslie Nielsen did start his career and for many decades as a serious actor. It wasn't really until Airplane, released in 1980, that he became a comedy star. And this obviously a couple of years later. Um, Ted Danson, of course, famous for Cheers. I think that's essentially what landed him the role, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Apparently, during the filming, he got the call, and he said to uh, George Romero, you know, I got this thing, I'm not really sure about it, you know, where... (laughs) And he explained what the sitcom was about and all that. And then, obviously, he just went on to superstardom after that, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, this is kind of a, you know, your typical typical revenge from beyond the grave tale. Um, you know, and uh, what makes this segment kind of stand out to me, actually, is it's the nature of it. The being buried up to the neck in sand and you oh, know, yeah. having to try and... Uh, it's an endurance test, if you will. And, yeah. you know, Leslie Nielsen, obviously, uh, you know, Ted Danson wants to find out where his... Because, obviously, they've been cheating. I'm assuming that, actually, she was with Leslie Nielsen has been cheating at, on him, hasn't she? Yeah, they've both been cheating on... Uh, I think Richard is the the guy, uh, Leslie Nielsen's character. 
And um, yeah, basically, he's not happy with this, as, as you can tell. And um, he puts him through all sorts of shenanigans, doesn't he? Yeah. So they're buried, they're buried, obviously, up to the neck in sand. And obviously, he's he's getting, unfortunately, to, to, see, to see his partner actually having to endure it herself. And of course, you know, Leslie Nielsen. There's actually a moment, actually, where there's one moment where he's actually sitting there watching it. And is it kind of like a flicker of guilt, almost? Like where he's feeling a little bit bad. Did you notice that? I didn't notice that. Mm, There's like one little bit. It's in Leslie Nielsen's performance there. It's very subdued. uh, But there's a little moment, because obviously he's getting revenge. He He gets Ted Danson in there as well. And it's when he's actually sitting there in his nice, lush apartment. And he's watching it on the monitor. And uh, there's a little, yeah, there's a little moment. It's when he's watching his partner, not Ted Danson, but her. And there's right, like a yeah. little flicker, just for a couple of seconds or so. And I always noticed that. And of course, Ted Danson gives him that look, I'm going to get you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get you in that. And then, of course, it's, it's not long, is it? It's not long um, until they show up. And yeah, and the effects on that Tom Savini effects, I thought, was fantastic. The effects, are and great. again, another zombie, t- you know, another zombie tale, which George does really well, anyway. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I, I think you know the actual when they come back, you know, you've got them very sort of slow moving zombies, and then they they just keep saying, you know, you know, hold your breath, hold your breath, and. I thought, yeah, it's really well done. Yeah. I mean, they're essentially, they're kind of like, uh, well, ghosts as well, because they've got the art of teleportation, because obviously he goes into the room, doesn't he? Locks it, turns around, and that's where they're right behind him. That's right, yeah. And, and again, you've got the the old, I don't know if you noticed, I think you mentioned it earlier, you've got the Argento lightning in sort of, you know, in every story, there's a little bit of like that Argento lightning, yeah. which I think George must have... Um, from what I was reading, I think he had a chat with Argento yeah. around about, you know, a year or so before. And uh, Argento gave him a few, you know, tips on how to do the lightning and that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so with that sequence, and then we get that moment, don't we, where it turns into a comic panel, pretty much, where we see Leslie Nielsen kind of screaming. And then we get that kind of like red, uh, you know what I mean, that kind of red background that he's kind yeah, of like yeah. composed in. And uh, it's them shots yeah. that I really love. Like, I, I, I really love them shots that we get. And obviously the Creepshow TV series, which has just finished its second season, uh, follows that exact same formula. It follows that same format um, where we get them moments. There's quite a lot of them moments where it essentially kind of turns into a comic panel almost. Yeah, very successful as well. You know, I've only seen a couple of the episodes, but um, from what I hear, I've I've not seen anything from season two. But yeah, it's very good apparently. Yeah. Um. So I think overall, I think it's I think it's a good segment. I think it's a good segment. Uh, as I said, I'm always like, you know, it's it's hard to believe because obviously, you know, Leslie Nielsen become famous for for being a comedy star certainly later on in his career. But when you actually see him, this, now I've only ever seen him in one other thing where he was kind of villainous. And I'm not going to count uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It in 95. I know he's you know, he's, <laughs> he's Dracula, but it's a spoof. It's a comedy. Um, there's yeah. an episode, a very good episode, actually, from Night Gallery, the anthology. And he plays a guy. He's got a patch on his eye. He claims to be fearless. Nothing scares him, blah, blah. And he decides to spend the night in a supposedly haunted house for money to prove that he's not scared of anything. I don't know if you've seen oh, that. It's a good segment. 
that sounds right up my alley. No, I've, I've never seen it, but I, I'll certainly be trying to check that out now. Yeah, it's a good, uh, it. it's a good episode. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, it, it's a favorite. I know some people that actually rate this because uh, it's called what is it? Something to tide over. Something to tide you over. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, and for me, I think it's it's the second best for me. Mm. Um, so, well, the next segment is my favorite. The next segment is my favourite. Uh, I mean, yeah. you've got three, like, you, Hal Holbrook in this, Fritz Weaver, and the ever-wonderful Adrian Barbell. This is just a, an absolute masterclass in, um, I don't know what you would call it, really. It's like a monster, you know, like a, a miniature monster movie. Or There's a few things, you, you know, there's even, like, slasher elements where I love where the creature actually, yeah. you know, offs these people. But, um, yeah, this is by far, I think, the standout uh, episode, yeah. uh, you know. And it's notable, right, this was the first time that Tom Savini had ever actually created an animatronic. So the right, Arctic okay. monkey in this film, the creature in the crate that we do see a little later, uh, was an animatronic. And it, I believe um, Tom Savini had actually contacted Rob Bottin and they'd spent like an hour and a half on the telephone uh, to try and get all the advice you could get to actually create this creature for this seg- for this segment. Yeah, and the whole look is like that Tasmanian devil. It's like a Tasmanian devil crossed with like an ape. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's so very, it, it's basically, yeah, I think it's, ba- I think they called it, nicknamed it Fluffy. I think most of the monsters, creatures and stuff in this film were actually given nicknames. And I think it was George A. Romero that actually nicknamed this thing Fluffy. Um, yeah, during yeah. filming. Now, there's a little nice little nod to John Carpenter as well. I don't right, know if okay. you noticed on the crate, but on the crate, it's going to the Arctic and it actually says Carpenter on the crate. I never noticed that. Yeah, a great little nod to 82's The Thing, I believe, which was, again, the very same year. Yeah, and wasn't Adrian Barbo married to John Carpenter? She was. At the time? Yeah, she was. I believe this was there. I'm not sure if this was there because I think they did um, obviously Escape from New York, uh, yeah. this, The Fog, and there was one more um, Two Evil Eyes, I believe it was. So That's she actually right, yeah. starred in four Carpenter works. I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm incorrect there. Um, but yeah, Adrian Barbell, frigging great. I love her in this. I mean, I, I love her anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, yeah. I loved her in The Fog, and obviously she was in 82 Swamp Thing, again the same year, directed by Wes Craven. Adrian, Adrian Barbell is someone that has worked with some of the biggest horror directors out there. Romero, yeah, yeah. Craven, Carpenter. Um, and yeah, she plays the, uh, obviously Hal Holbrook is the very henpecked husband in this, isn't he? Yeah, I think this is her favourite role, apparently, from what she's ever filmed. Okay. Um, she liked it because she was so far, you know, so far not her. Yeah. You know, in real life, she's not like that, obviously. Yeah. Um, I don't think she's ever drunk in her life, she said. Um, but, yeah, the old cast of this, you've got Hal Holbrook, who, who, who plays the henpeck, you know, has been really well. Yeah. Um, Adrian Barbeau, you, I don't know, you know, you'd think she was drunk. Mm. She really is that good. She can just pull that off. Yeah. And um, oh, it's a fantastic story. Yeah. Fritz Weaver um, is actually uh, one. I mean, obviously, a long, illustrious career was actually in one of my all time favorite Twilight Zone episodes called Third from the Sun from season one. He was actually in that. Now, Adrian Barbell um, in this. uh, 
yeah, just the stuff she comes out with. I mean, <laughs> it's just you, you'd want to kill her if you had a wife like that. I mean, saying that, you know, but she, uh, she, all, she all, <laughs> watch what you say. Yeah, I know. Um, I've got a fiance, so um, yeah, she actually voices uh, Selena Kyle, Catwoman in the '92 Batman the Animated Series as well. She was actually a perfect fit for that as well because she has got quite a sultry voice. Not in this, obviously, but in the likes of the Fog and. Obviously, she kind of reprised a very similar role for Tales of Halloween, which, you know, another anthology film. Um, I love the stuff that she comes out with. I love the line, call me Billy, everyone does. Yeah, yeah. And I love... I, I, I actually love the um, early on as well, where you get, you get Henry and he's daydreaming and killing. Oh, I think there's two two scenes of that. And it's, oh, yeah, there it's is. Hilarious. Uh, brilliant that that was going to get me to that moment actually where i think where she turns around and she says henry what's wrong now and he points the gun at her and he says not a <laughs> not a thing wilma and he just shoots her in the head everything's just fine and we see her corpse lying there bullet hole in the head and everyone gives him a round of applause Exactly, and you know there's men all over the world watching that. You know, we can relate yeah. <laughs> to that. As um, well. I, I, I love that moment. Yeah, that daydreamy shooter in the head and uh, <laughs> just the, the round of the pl- applause that he gets given. And then later, he actually imagines strangling her. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love it. Yeah, she's like, I think she says it like two times in the film. She's like, oh, call me Billy. Everyone does. <laughs> I love <laughs> it when he's trying to feed her to the Arctic monkey. Oh, and he I says... See. This 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 is my favourite line in the whole film, by the way. This is my favourite line. And he says, he's trying to push her in there, and he says, just tell it to call you Billy, you bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love I, it. I, I, I just... And the way he plays the whole scene, Hal Holbrook, where he's laughing as well, and he's, you know, you don't know if it's, you know, he's laughing on purpose or what. He just seems yeah. completely sort of not with it. Yeah, and um, oh, that's great. But she, the lead up to that, mind you know, where you got the, you got like the janitor who gets killed, um, and you got obviously you got the biologist who's running around frantically, you know, he don't know what to do, and then he gets this student involved, and he gets killed as well. Yeah, um, some of it, some of the most you know funniest, and it, it's played so straight as well, but. But some of it is really funny. Yeah, I think the the crate the crate's a great segment. The creature itself is is you know is great. I love that shot we get of kind of the eyes. You know, the first guy obviously gets dragged in there into the crate. You know, he gets killed, dragged in, and then of course later on, uh, the Arctic monkey comes out and chomps on the guy's neck, and you kind of get the bite marks. It's a pretty cool little effect actually. Uh, yeah, then he yeah. gets slashed across the face as well, and uh, yeah, she uh, you know. Obviously, she gets killed in that. And at the end, they're kind of like, you know, what he dumps the crate, doesn't he? He dumps the crate in the river or whatever. And he says, like, you know, what if it get, what if it gets out? Oh, I won't get out. And then that final shot is it gets out, doesn't it? We, and it, the final shot of the segment is we actually get to see the Arctic monkey's eyes. It, it shows the eyes. Yeah. Um, we, like, I think this is like up there with some of Savini's best work for me. I know it's very much nothing like, you know, stuff like the prayer or the burning and stuff like that he worked on, but in terms of like a monster sort of, you know, effect, I think fluffy was one of the, one of the best he's ever done. Mm, yeah. In, in that regard. And again, I just want to quickly say there's actually uh, an episode of tales from the dark side. Again, another anthology series that ran for four seasons 
um, that George A. Romero himself was attached to. There's actually a creature in that. Uh, in one of the seg- in one of the episodes, I believe the episode is oh, I, the title is escaping me. Trick or treats or, or something. I can't remember. Oh no, Halloween candy. That's it. Halloween candy. And there is a creature in that that is quite similar to the Arctic Monkey. And I'm wondering. I don't know if Tom Savini created that as well. But when I see the creature in that episode, it reminds me of the Arctic Monkey from the crate. Right. That's that's again. I, I've not checked that. I'll have to uh, look into that. Um, but Tom Savini actually did direct one of the episodes as well. I think it's called Monster in the Closet or, or, or something like that, something along them lines. And that was actually quite a creepy um, episode as well. So I think The Crate is a really strong segment, actually. Um, Adrienne Barbell, just, she's, she's just friggin' fantastic in that segment. Just, you know, she's constantly belittling him. And, you know, kind of near the end, what is it she says to him? Like, you're not even a man. When's the last time you were man in the bed? Um, That's right, yeah. You've got yeah. shit for brains. Um <laughs> you know, you can't really you can't really blame him. Um You know, and everyone watching that segment throughout the whole segment, you you just you know it's coming. You, you just can't wait till you, you see him get his revenge on her. And yeah. uh yeah, it, it's a really good payoff when it does happen because it's done really well. Yeah. Because it's actually puts you in a false sense where you don't think it's gonna happen for a minute. Mm. And then all of a sudden, and he just pops up, and it's yeah, it's it's, it's, it's so funny because it's kind of suspenseful. Actually, that 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 yeah. segment does have kind of a suspenseful moment as well. It's kind of like where they realise the creatures got out of the crate, and it could essentially be anywhere. That's right. Um, yeah, obviously following the trail of blood and that. Uh, just a quick little fact, actually, as well. This is something that I meant to mention earlier when we were talking about the second segment. Uh, there's actually a sign. Um, in the Lonesome Death of Geordie Verrill segment, um, leading to Castle Rock, which of course is Stephen King's trademark fictitious town. Right, I never actually okay. noticed yeah. it upon watching. Apparently there's other signs in that as well. Uh, but I, n- I never actually noticed that. No, um, not myself. Yeah, Who there's a it? Castle Rock sign. And um, I believe the episode, Something to Tide You Over, um, is very identical actually to Stephen King's short story, The Ledge. There's a lot of story components that are incredibly similar, which did actually make its way into film um, in the uh, the anthology in '85 called Cat's Eye. Oh right, that's uh, yeah, I love that. Actually, I love that. segment. That's my favourite segment. Actually, that is my favourite segment of the movie. Possibly, um, I believe it's the actor's name is escaping me. I do know it. Um, is it, it James Woods? No, James Woods was oh, no, in, he's smoking in the smoking one. one. Uh, this yeah. one was. It's the guy. Um, Ted Stryker from Airplane. Oh, yeah, I know the guy on the boat, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... Um, but, yeah, now, fifth segment. I know this, is what, this isn't one that you're keen on. Um, this is one I do like, and this is one that makes me squirm, because I absolutely hate goddamn cockroaches. Right. I hate them. I, yeah, cockroaches and spiders are pretty much on the same level for me. And obviously this episode is there to, it's designed to try and make you squirm. And I think it does a good job of doing that. Um, obviously, uh, do you want to go through the segment for us, Darren? Yeah, um, basically it's like um, this sort of wealthy businessman who suffers, you know, from mysophobia, which I believe is, is obviously a fear of insects. Hmm. Um, and he's living in like this sealed apartment. And um, he's basically, his company has uh, bought... Uh, Pacific Aerodyne, 
you know, in a corporate takeover. Yeah. So a rival businessman then, you know, kills himself, you know, because he, you know, brought all that on. Yeah. And he gets a call from his widow and his widow says, you know, cussing him out, you know, and yeah. all this. So basically he's, he's there known as like a really nasty character. Yeah. And as this is all going on, you know, his apartment or, you know, his facility where he is starts to get infested by cockroaches. Yeah. And uh, it, as he mentions a few times during the segment, they're creeping up on you. you know, they right, might yeah. seem brainless and all that, but you've got to be careful because they're creeping up on you. And it kind of like starts one, two here and there and that. And he's a really unlikable guy, isn't he? He's a bit yeah, of a he's a bit yeah. of an arsehole because uh, basically he gets a telephone call, doesn't he, from a woman that um, effectively you know blames him for the suicide of her husband. That's right. Yeah, and um, I think there's like sort of um, some interaction then, you know, with um, this guy who goes to uh, he wants to basically get called for an exterminator and that. Yeah, I think it's David Early from Dawn of the Dead films. Okay, um, and um, yeah, the, so basically a big blackout, you know, takes over the city, and uh, he, he's basically trapped. He can't phone the police. He can't do nothing. And um, I can understand people who don't, you know, really got a fear of insects, how they would really feel about this episode. Mm. Um, it just doesn't really do nothing for me. I thought it was the worst one, if I'm honest. Okay. I, I really like this one, actually. Um, it's one that there's a sense of claustrophobia to it because even though, yeah, there's other characters he speaks to, he's kind of like on his own. And, um, you know, with this as well, I, I believe the biggest cost of the film actually come from this segment. Uh, they used, I believe, well over 20,000 cockroaches and each one cost 50 cents to use. Um... No, I, I think the story goes that it, it was going to cost them 50 cents to use them. So what happened was they got two people to fly out to Trinidad. Okay. And, I, and they brought 18,000 back with them and then they bred them. So it oh. ended up something like in the hundreds of thousands in the end. Oh, okay. Yeah, just to save on money. But yeah, you are right in the fact it would have cost yeah. 50 cents a cockroach. But yeah, to save money, they did that. Oh, because, uh, yeah, he obviously, um, E.G. James in this as well. Um, obviously the lead actor. And uh, really nice guy in real life, apparently. Nothing like the character he's playing. Yeah, like a real old school actor who's in a lot of, you know, really famous things in the past. E.G. Marshall, said, sorry. E.G. E. Marshall, Marshall, yeah. yeah. Um, and they said he, had a, he, was a, he was a great laugh on set, you know. and yeah. uh, But, uh, you know, as much as I don't like the episode, there is a couple of things that i do like about it um one being you know towards the end he, ha he has a fatal heart attack and um, we see that great shot of the cockroaches coming out of his oh, mouth yeah yeah and then uh, a few seconds later they just rip through his whole body yeah i thought i think that's one of you know standout shots of, of creep show to be yeah. honest like even though i don't like the episode yeah one of the cockroaches obviously starts coming out the wall then obviously he's got one crawling up him and uh then there's one on the screen and stuff, and it's just kind of like a culmination. It all builds to all builds to that. And he actually says he's been beating bugs all his life. You know, he hates them. And uh, yeah, uh, I do believe as well. Originally, it was supposed to be in a carpeted apartment, um, but due to the cockroaches and stuff, it, it wasn't going to be possible. Um, oh right, that, yeah. that was that was that was the original plan. Um, and there's some lines in this one that really kind of stand out to me as well, actually. 
Like for example, when uh, the wife, you know, the wife of the man that committed suicide phones up and uh, you know blaming him, and uh, he's like, "How did you get my number to my to my private residence and that?" And she says, "It was in his, it was in his goddamn address book, you you know, you sob." And he's like, "Okay, well, I can't fire him now, can I?" <laughs> yeah, he says, yeah. "Oh, yeah." He goes, "What was it? It was something along the lines of, yeah, tell me who give you the uh, give you the telephone number, and I'll fire him.'" And then as soon as he finds out it was him, well, from the address book, he's like, "Well, I can't fire him now." He's just completely cold to the fact of uh, he said, hasn't he, that he uh, he only uh, he's only killed what is it, the weak? That's oh. right. Yeah, there's some great uh, you know glimpses of humour throughout this film as well, which you know. It's very old school type humor, but it's really like funny along as well, like you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I just can't. Well, one get of on my one of my section. favorite lines as well from this one as well is uh, when he actually when he's having the conversation and that, and he actually says, uh, "Why don't you just go out and fuck someone?" He says, uh, "Just make sure you wear a rubber. Everyone's got herpes these days." That's right. Everyone's yeah. got the herpes these days. <laughs> it's like, and this was what 1982. So this was 1982. Yeah. That would have been before the. 80s. It'd be a lot more since then, believe me. I'm sure. Yeah, um, yeah. But no, I uh, yeah. This, no, this is a segment. Um, this is a segment I do like. I'll admit. Um, you know, it's not my favourite. It's one that I've come to like a little more. It's one that has an effect on me because, as I said, I absolutely hate cockroaches. So there's an element of fear there for me with this i would hate to be in that goddamn situation that he's in um, no i get i get that yeah it's a lot of people's worst nightmare really yeah i mean cockroaches spread a lot of germs in that as well and uh they're natural survivors as well um if there was an apocalypse they do say that cockroaches would actually survive whereas we wouldn't their, yeah. their, their bodies are immune to, to immune to so much and i think the title's a good one as well you know they're creeping up on you because they do, you know, there is a culmination. It starts small and it gets bigger. And I think, aren't they in the bed when he lifts the, the, the quilt and they're like, they're all on the bed, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I think the story as well was going to be cut from the original film due to um, going over budget. Okay. And I think Romero had to really fight to keep it in. Yeah. Um, well, you know, there was a lot of cuts. There was actually, I believe around 10 minutes worth there's actually 10 minutes worth of footage that never actually got to the final cut. And one of the moments that was actually deleted was uh, going back to the crate. Um, obviously, when the crate opens, you know, the creature's going to get out. Um, you were actually going to see um, Adrian Barbell's character's remains. Oh, right. So do you know out. if that's in the deleted scenes on the DVD? I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I do know that it was a deleted moment. It was a deleted scene. We were going to get to see her remains when the crate actually opens. Um, getting back to kind of fun on set and all that, because obviously, you know, the movie doesn't take itself too seriously or anything like that. It has a lot of fun with what it does. Uh, Leslie Nielsen apparently was a very much a joker on set, wasn't he? Yeah, he used to carry around this fat machine with him. <laughs> yeah. And um, funny enough, I think Savini's still got one to this day, uh, one of his, you know, Leslie Nielsen's fat machines. And um, he found this hysterical. And pretty much, you know, the, the whole shoot, I think, was just done on a real, you know, fun. Everyone got on and like a happy environment from what yeah. I, you know, remember. 
Yeah. Um, I like another line in the final segment. I like as well. I've just remembered it. You know, what's the matter? Bugs got your tongue. Yeah, that's when he's obviously not answering. Line, yeah. yeah, not answering the thing. Uh, little fact as well that I had no idea about. Just kind of a little cosmetic thing is that two of the characters in the film, uh, the new professors at the uh, faculty um, in the crate, uh, are called Tabitha and Richard, and they were named after Stephen King's wife, Tabitha. Okay. And yeah. Richard Backman, which was his ghostwriting name. Right, I didn't know because, that. Because, yeah, Richard, uh, he actually wrote The Running Man, of course, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film from 87. He actually wrote that under the name of Richard Backman. So that was just kind of like little nods uh, right. that he actually peppered, uh, put into the film. I bet there's quite a lot of little nods as well that we don't even, you know, probably go over our head as well. Yeah. Well, interestingly as well, I mean, Adrian Barbell and Tom Atkins have actually been in three films together, but they've never appeared together on screen. Right. So obviously, they were the, obviously The Fog. The Fog, Escape from New York, and yeah. Two Evil Eyes. Right, okay, yeah. So, no, four, four films, sorry, four films, not three. They've been in four films, but never actually shared any screen time together in any one of them films. Well, that's interesting. Um, um, I don't know, you know, without going off topic, what your thoughts are on um, your two evil eyes quickly, like just... Two evil eyes, uh, I can't give an accurate statement because it's been such a long time. It wouldn't be fair of me to say. Um, no, that's it's fine. It's been fine. a long time. I would need to re-watch it. Um, I will say this, I do like Creepshow too. Um, I don't like it quite as much as the first one, but I still do think it's a good sequel. And uh, I know for a lot of people, The Raft is considered to be probably the best segment. It, it yeah, probably yeah. is, but I do like the Hitchhiker one as well. I do as well. I, I prefer Creepshow 2 to this film. And again, you know, I, I probably not a popular opinion, hmm. but um, I think The Raft is fantastic. I even like the, the old Chief Woodenhead you know, first episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're obviously two different. I think there were like five years in between each production. So they are pretty different, but um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, for me, creep shows more hit and miss. Yeah. If I'm honest. I think um, with, um, well, creep, creep show two, obviously that came out five years later, didn't it? It was, it was released in 87. Yeah. Uh, creep yeah. show three. We're not even going to talk about that. Honestly, I've never seen it, but I've heard it's like an abomination. Really. Creep Show Free. Let's just pretend it doesn't exist. Um, I am liking Creep Show the series. I am liking it again. Like any anthology series, it's typically hit and miss. Um, it's not the most consistent of shows. It's not the most consistent of anthology shows. But when it's good, it's very good. Um, I remember the one episode in the first series with the doll's head. Which is probably my favourite segment in the entire first season, in all honesty. I, I thought that was excellent, yeah. yeah. Um, um, that was a brilliant episode, that was. But, you know, I, I, I just love, I love anthologies. And I know, you know, this is probably the wrong platform to say this. Inside number nine, watch it, people. If you like yeah, anthology yeah. shows with twists and turns and great humour, some episodes are more horror, some are a little more comedic. Watch Inside Number Nine. It's it's the best anthology around right now, and I'll be honest, it's the only modern anthology that is in my list of like top five, top ten of all time. 
inside well, I, number I nine. second that totally because I've seen the first two episodes that you you know you told me about, yeah. and um, yeah, they were really funny. But it's... I just want to get back into like the ending of this film where we got the the wraparound comes to a conclusion with a voodoo doll. Where there's yeah, a slight yeah. little bit of foreshadowing before it, because uh, Tom, Savi- Tom Savini actually appears, doesn't he, in a cameo at the end. He's one He's of like the garbage the... men. That's right, yeah. And, and they... um, I just think, you know, because we get, like, um, earlier on in the film, or is it during the, the part with Tom Savini, where we see that the voodoo doll thing's been cut out where the boys bought it. Yeah. And, um, you know, foreshadowing what's going to happen. Yeah. And then, obviously... He uses the voodoo doll on his dad, and I thought that was really well done. And um, I just think that it was an excellent way to end the film. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, I, I love the film. Yeah, I love that. Obviously, the uh, Tom Atkins gets his comeuppance in that, if you will. Uh, you know, throwing the garbage away in that, and uh, yeah, we get there. And that's that's another little thing I like actually, because you know I've been reading the EC horror comics for years, and I used to read some of the '60s horror comics like Creepy and Eerie as well, which were very big back in the day. Um, used to yeah. get what these comics were renowned for. They used to sell things. They used to do little advertisements in these comics, and this this film shows that. So it's the level of authenticity that it has there. The fact that you could actually order a, a voodoo doll from this That's comic. Right, yeah. These comics yeah. used to have that stuff. They would be like, uh, order a little Frankenstein's figure. You know, send this away, and you'll get this. And uh, I like that. I like that little touch that they've actually been able to incorporate into the movie itself yeah the the actual animated scenes that interact like we mentioned earlier are just fantastic and they you know i would love to have actually seen a little replica comic book of of this actual film well there is a comic isn't there there is a comic now i I, you know i'm not going to claim i know uh what it's about and stuff but there is a comic there is a creep show comic that uh came out i'm not sure if it was right after or at the same time of release but it was really there to kind of like help promote the movie. And obviously the film the film has a cult following. Creepshow is a cult horror film. I know a lot of people that love this movie. Um, and just to quickly get back as well. The first segment, Father's Day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you know originally it was going to be Mother's Day? No, no. Yeah. Um... I do know there was a Mother's Day, you know, film Slash- years previous. There was. Yeah. Now, that's the reason. Uh, there was a Mother's oh, right. Day kind of a slasher movie that came out in 1980. And to avoid any kind of confusion whatsoever, it was changed to Father's Day. And apparently the plot of that one was going to be an abusive father terrorises his put-upon servant daughter, even from beyond the grave, using supernatural oh, right. means. Yeah. Now... Um, I had to look into this because I'll admit I only found this out quite recently. Um, there's very echo. There's huge echoes of that to a Twilight Zone episode called "Lateness of the Hour." Okay. Um, yeah. In which, basically, in that, her father has died. She was henpecked, and you know it, it, he was very controlling. And what he's done, he's ba- been able to transfer his conscious into a robot. Right, to actually okay. control yeah. her from beyond the grave. So he's effectively dead, but his spirit lives on in the body of a robot, still being able to control her. And that's what Stephen King presumably was going to use as kind of an influence for for that segment, for that story. Now, I do know that Stephen King um, wanted George Romero to direct Salem's Lot. I don't know if you've heard about this. Yes, I have heard that. I weren't sure how true that was. Yeah, it was off the back of, you know, he obviously had a bit of success with Martin, the, yeah. the vampire film. Yeah. Um, but then 
uh, when Tingham Zot went into, you know, it was going to be like a TV production, it sort of fell through, which enabled George then, to, you know, to go on and make this film. Yeah. Okay. Because so, we got Toby Hooper, didn't we? Because Toby Hooper directed uh, Salem's Lot, didn't he? Yeah, um, and I'm glad. I'm glad he did, you know. I, I, I love that film. but uh, And I think, obviously, he wouldn't have got Creepshow anyway. So, uh, yeah, it all worked out well. So, quick piece of trivia for you, not to put you under the spotlight or anything. Um, Stephen King has had a couple of uh, stories, novels, directed by George A. Romero. What's the other one? The Dark Half, maybe? Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, 1993, I think. Oh, yeah, a film that doesn't really get talked about a huge amount, in all honesty. Amongst all of the Stephen King adaptations out there, The Dark Half, I actually think, is quite good. And it's one that doesn't really get a huge amount of attention. Um, but obviously, I've the- seen it. But I've never, I've, I haven't seen it for years, so I, I couldn't even tell you anything yeah. about it. I do remember, isn't there like a um, sort of slasher element to it? There is, yeah. It, uh, his his creation, his villainous creation from his novel actually comes to life, comes out of the book. I mean, you look how many big directors, though, have actually adapted, you know, Stephen King work. We had Brian De Palma, we've had John Carpenter, we've had David Cronenberg, George A. Romero... Uh, moving away from horror you know Frank Darabont with Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile and uh, but yeah uh, I think we're probably gonna have to wrap this one up now Uh, I didn't realize this one's gone for as long as it has Um, but yeah Creepshow my overall thoughts it's not my favorite anthology but it's certainly up there it's one of my favorites Um, I love the aesthetics of the film I love the fact that it actually does capture the spirit of them 50s EC comics uh, what's your overall kind of thoughts on it, Darren? Uh, I like the film a lot. It's pretty hit and miss for me, but it's more hit than miss, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, just the two stories, really, that I, I I'm not really uh, keen on, but the other three more, and the Rapper Rain story, more than make up for it. So overall, yeah, I, I would give it a thumbs up. I really, you know, really enjoy the film. And the film with Tom Atkins in is worth watching. Exactly. Just, just I'm always happy to see Tom Atkins on screen and I love him I just love him you read that shit can you believe this rubbish where do you get this shit who sells you there just <laughs> I love yeah I absolutely yeah, love it cause yeah definitely as I said like there were parents not necessarily using that language but there were parents who had them thoughts back in the 50s who were like this stuff is garbage this this yeah, stuff is yeah. rot in your brain reading now they're considered classics and they have the the comics have a huge fan base. Uh, they're very sought after by by comic collectors. So uh, that's uh, that's pretty much it for today for today's episode. Thanks a lot to everyone that listened. Uh, we'll be back again soon to haunt you and torment you. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot for listening. Yeah, take care, and I'll see you all again soon. Adios.